Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of Miracle Soup. Once again, I'm your host, Christoph Heinen, speaking from the mystical foothills of the Sierra Nevada in Northern California. Today's guest is Adam Trowbridge, author, father, yogi, and friend, author of The Dude's Guide to Life, a magnificent contribution to the world of literature and art, a book about dudism, about the phenomenal cinematic achievement called The Big Lebowski. I have never talked about a movie to this much granular depth. I've never looked so deeply into anything that I've watched on a screen before. And the conversation was fascinating, inspiring. I got a lot out of it. I don't want to spoil it right now, so I'm not going to tell you the main nugget that I'm going to take away, but it's pretty game-changing. makes me just... It reminds me of why I love having interviews. I think solos are cool, but interviews are just the bee's knees as well. So I had just gotten some new microphones, and what I learned was probably should like do more of a sound check beforehand. I think maybe just his mic was picking up my voice, or, or my mic was like too too low on my shirt or something. So my voice is a little bit soft. His voice comes through good, which is really honestly the most important thing because he has a lot to say. Um, and um, and also there is just, just heads up, there's a little bit of dead space with some kind of cluttering. That's when I had to put my dog in the backyard and I didn't pause it. Um, and then later on, there's actually a, a dog fight which you don't get to hear, but you'll hear about a little bit because there was really a lot going on during this video. Um, <clears throat> both Adam and I have kind of like a kind of a high energy kind of aura around us and, and there's kids and chaos and animals and it's very um, it's very understandable. It's very it's a clear conversation, but there are there are multiple things happening in the background at various times. So, just a little warning. That's that's you know that's how we roll here at Miracle Soup. This is kind of a real life kind of thing. We don't have a uh, soundproof studio located up up on the twentieth uh, floor of some skyscraper, um, you know, or anything like that. So we're we're kind of just we're kind of just meeting life where it is and doing our best to share our message, and to have fun and create our art and uh, express the divine mystery of life in any way whenever we can. So, uh, without further ado, I think that's it. Oh yeah, one more thing. If you would love to please go ahead and just slap a review point that there's like a little star thing on Spotify or a little star rating on whatever, you know, podcast platform you're, you're listening to this on that would, that'd be really sweet. Um, also just to make sure that, you know, you get the, the regular and the full experience of Miracle Soup, go ahead and subscribe. That'd be pretty, pretty cool because all this, you know, obviously helps with the, with the algorithms and, getting this, um, getting these messages and getting these conversations and getting this frequency, um, sort of distributed to more of the people who are interested in it. So if you have a second to share the love, I would really appreciate that. Uh, and without further ado, this is a conversation with Adam Trowbridge on the dude's guide to life. Peace. Yeah. What's up, Adam? Thanks hey, for coming Christa. in today, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. First question I want to ask is how many times have you seen The Big Lebowski? Wow. 
Very good question. I haven't thought that hard about it, but the first time was when I was 17 years old. And so, uh, what year? so this would have been nine. Oh God, I'm dating myself here. Let's see. So I graduated in 2003. So it would have been around 2001, 2002, okay. somewhere around there. And the movie so, came out in 98. 98, exactly. So the movie had been out for about three years. I hadn't heard of it, but my girlfriend, who's a little younger, she had watched it and she said it was really funny, but she'd only seen it once and she thought it was so funny. She wanted me to see it too. So we watched it together, laugh my ass off the whole time. I was hooked from, you know, the first sequence. Like mm -hmm. I, I, and truly like to this day, I think uh, of all the works of art, of a visual medium, I think The Big Lebowski has to be not even just the greatest movie. I think it's one of the greatest works of art just because of how complete it is, how much attention they pay to the small details, just how funny it is, how how well the jokes land. But to answer your question, um, probably watched it about maybe five times with that girlfriend, you know, maybe like three or four times a year for the next few years. And then I don't know. I mean, it's got to be like getting up towards fifty times, maybe. I don't something like that. Because I've I've you know gotten family to watch it. Um, my wife and I still watch it on a regular basis to Whoa. this day. She Whoa. so she loves it too. So yeah, um, it's not just that I'm a big fan of dudeism. It's that the movie itself, even though I've seen it so many times, even though I can recite lines of dialogue in it, like something about it has a timeless quality to it. Something about it helps me to laugh at my own life in a way that almost no other comedy movie that I can think of does. You know, there are so many talented stand-up comedians that can get you to laugh at your life in that way. Um, for me, anyway, I watch stand-up comedy and they can do the same thing. But for some reason, I don't find myself going back to hear the same jokes again, you know. But for some reason, this movie, it, it feels like, you know, the first... The first five times I watched it, I kept noticing these big things that I never noticed before, like plot lines. And, you know, you kind of notice that, like, at a certain point, you realize nothing really gets wrapped up yeah. in the movie. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like you don't know how they did in the bowling tournament. You don't know whatever happened with Jesus. You don't ever know what happened with with Maude. You don't really know what happened with anyone. Yeah. Why isn't Donnie's family at his funeral? Right. <laughs> right who was donnie's family what do you mean surfing donnie was a yeah, surfer was like surfer. we find out all these random things just as a throwaway line and um you know i i just thought it was so interesting how deep of a dive i could do into this movie and how absurd it was and what an absurd lens it puts on life you know and i think that's that might be for me the magic is the ability to I'm going to invent a word here to like re-perspective your life, you know, to give you a new perspective on, even if it's just one little thing, like, you know, I'll, I'll give an example. Like, um, last time I watched it, I just kept getting caught on how funny the line was where he sees, uh, the nihilist guy like floating in the pool, you know, and, and he's walking by bunny right after he leaves the big Lebowski's office and, you know, cons his way into a new rug, which is just genius. But um, he's leaving the office and, and Bunny is like, you know, blow on them. I can't blow that far. You know, and she's like flirting with him. And he's like, won't he mind? And he goes, and she goes, no, he doesn't believe in anything. He's a nihilist. And his line, just without missing a beat, just, oh, that must be exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> he's just passed out in the pool. But it's like, for some reason, I thought that was so funny. And then I start reflecting, like, why is that so funny? And it's just because, like, you know, it, it kind of takes you back to like 
I don't know if it does this for everyone. It probably doesn't, but it takes me back to like, what am I doing with my life? You know, like what philosophies am I taking way too seriously? And like this guy, you know, using nihilism as like a thing to like get through his life, you know, and like to loudly declare that, you know, is just so interesting to me. And I'm, I'm trying to be, you know, one of those people that lives their principles, but doesn't talk about it, you know, whereas the nihilists in the movie, as you can see, they talk a good game about their principles, but they don't actually really live it. Walter points that out at the yeah. end of the movie. You know, <laughs> what do you mean unfair? You fucking cry, baby. Who's the nihilist <laughs> now? You know, <laughs> just points out what hypocrites they are. So it's, it's good because there's so many characters to laugh at in the movie. And even the dude himself, even though we laud him, as this great and noble character, most of the movie he's losing his shit. Yeah, you know? he's swearing and yeah. he's getting all wrapped up, all all undoed, as Walter says. Yeah, but he comes back so quickly mm -hmm. to just mm -hmm. to dudeism again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and like you know, the first scene I think encapsulates that so perfectly when you know he's screaming because some guy just grabbed him by the back of the head and is shoving him you know into his own apartment he's freaked out he's screaming he's reacting he gets his head slammed into a toilet twice maybe three times and then what does he say at the end of it it's down there somewhere let me take another look you know the presence of mind that you have to have to recover that quickly i think to anyone who's undergoing a spiritual practice or attempting a spiritual practice such as daily meditation or a mantra or something realizes how easy it is to slip back into whatever it is taking life too seriously slip back into the delusion that you are separate from everyone and everything you know whereas with spirituality it's about coming to oneness and it's about coming to you know, higher and higher realizations that help you let go of those reactive processes mm. so that you're not just reacting to life. You are the creator of life. You are the, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And so I think it's so interesting that the dude can in those moments have those flashes of genius. You know, he's being yelled at by the big Lebowski, screamed at and being just dressed down about his entire life and all his choices and what a bum he is. And what does he do? Puts on his sunglasses, walks out, and tells Brant a lie so convincing that he gets a rug out of it. Like, so, so convincing Brant didn't even go back to check with the Big Lebowski to make sure, you know? I just... All right, so so that part when he walks into the, into the Big Lebowski's house, that yeah. actually, for me, most recently healed so much of my trip about comparing myself to others and i never realized that before but i was yeah. like you know like in my 40s and i see pictures of my friends on facebook who've got like whatever accolades and like big houses and just lived like a more conventional life that i didn't choose mm -hmm. in my early 20s and yeah. i kind of chose this like alternative route yeah and i like a lot of times i'm like oh man if i had just like finished college i could have done this and this and this and, and then in the big lebowski he's walking through that hallway and he sees all these achievements achievements yeah. like <laughs> it just doesn't phase him no nope. because he's just he's so who he is mm -hmm. he's so okay with who he is and like right. the most recent time i watched it, it was just like it snapped i was like oh my god i it's like it, it's not about being somebody else it's not about living up to some like really unrealistic expectation and who knows yeah. what's going behind the scenes of anybody who we see on social media right. even these so-called gurus or whatever it's like right. it could be on xanax they could be on whatever. They could be in debt. We don't yep. know. It's like yep. it just it just cleared up for me. I'm like, oh my god! And and I realized like, wow, that movie really had shaped a lot of 
my life when I watched it in my early 20s. It, I just kind of was like, wow, I'm not going to play this game where I'm rushing so and trying so hard. Yep. A- and then I got to revisit that again. I was like, oh my God, wow. Yeah. It has even more significance. Yes. Well, that's what got me to write the book is just the realization that after 10 years on a dedicated spiritual path, literally everything else from 10 years ago in my life had fallen away. The music I listened to, for the most part, minus Green Day, God bless him. (laughs) The music I listened to, the movies I watched, the friends I had, so many things had just fallen away. But The Big Lebowski remained Mm -hmm. as one of the funniest thing i still thought you know what i mean my sense of humor had changed a bit like away from maybe more ruder humor or whatever and like the big lebowski maybe like has a little but not really like there's jokes around sex and drinking and drugs but it's not really like using that as a crutch like a lot of you know comedies do um and i just you know realized that like it truly is like the essence of humor and it's and it's coming from a point of like laughing at life you know so that's that's what I really what I really loved about it. Yep. Hey Daniel, remember we're on a podcast, so we're recording, so you gotta be outside, okay? And of course talking about fatherhood and you know, yeah, dealing with kids and doing yeah, a podcast. Totally. But okay. uh, yeah. So, so that's what I really liked about your book. How you yeah. started off with like your yogic path, yeah. Yogananda, mm-hmm. and then and then and then bridging those two, like seemingly like how would you do that? But but it's it really is. It's like the Bowski is like this Taoist sort of quasi sage you know mm-hmm. and, and and then yeah it, it, to- it totally fits in with with like yogananda's teachings mm-hmm. and I, I like i'd never thought of that before well one of the things yeah. that i'd never thought about before when i started going to church and learning about you know the teachings of jesus and you know christian early christian original christianity as yogananda calls it um and i started learning about that you know you, you kind of realize that when jesus talked about like you know, the parable of a fisherman or like a a sheep herder or something. He was literally just using what was around him Uh to teach these deeper spiritual lessons. And Eckhart Tolle says in his book, The Power of Now, you know, that he or any other spiritual teacher can only ever be a guidepost. That all of these teachings, like the Tao, you know, they talk about it in um, the original Buddhist books, that the Tao cannot be spoken. The Tao is something you need to come to within, something you need to come to on your own. And so that's, you know, what I try to just extend with this book is like, I fully agree with the creators of Dudism that the movie The Big Lebowski, with all of its swearing, you know, all of its drinking, drugs, and humor, is a perfect thing to point at and say, I can teach you a number of deep, deep spiritual truths that you can keep coming back to, just like you keep watching the movie, that will improve your life and help you elevate your consciousness. But I'm going to do it from the angle that I was taught, which is self-realization, through Yogananda's teachings. You know, But Jesus wasn't like talking about, you know, saint sheep herder he was just using whatever sheep herder was you know what i mean like to give the example and and to use common sense things like if you know if one of your sheep wandered away would you just call it a loss or would you go chase after it Mm -hmm. you know i forget which parable that was but you know he was making a larger point about like what a common sense person would do you know and and swami kriyananda did a lot of that too let me get oshala felicia's barking yeah yeah (laughs) oshala Gotta get the dog. Come boy. Yeah, so let's see while I talk to our viewers here about what's going on. But uh, yeah, 
we'll edit this out. Who knows? Let's have a time to sip some tea. Okay, that's cool. I'm just talking talking to the people. <laughs> okay, right on. So, so yeah. okay, this leads me to another question. Yes. When I was in my early 20s watching mm -hmm. the movie, it, it had such an impact on me. And so I started to actually kind of like more like emulate the dude, actually, mm. the character. So I was like, started smoking weed more, you know, and just, and just like actively being like really lazy. And I didn't really ever like drinking that much. But, but yeah, you know, the, the Kahluas and everything, right. it's kind of like, let's be like this guy because he's so cool and chill. And I want to, like the beauty of the dude, he's, he's like this kind of goes against this general trend of society to like yeah. achieve and work hard and yep. da -da -da. and he's just like let's not do that let's just be happy and healthy and like enjoy qigong on the carpet with a clue in our hand and just like go bowling right right so i started to kind of like really just like well i'm just gonna smoke weed like all day long and not get shit done and um and, and so that didn't wasn't probably like really helpful and, and now in my well, more mature years i'm yeah. like Wow, it's not about it's not about that. It's not like acting like the dude. It's like embodying that attitude of just like mm -hmm. enjoying life and, yes. and letting shit go and fuck it, let's go bowling. Mm -hmm. It's like these these mantras that you talked about here. Yeah, like, yeah. So, so so one thing in in the book that you mentioned was like don't hide behind. Was it hide hide, hide behind, behind dudism. dudism? Yeah, yeah. And I and I and I'm like, huh. So so like, how do you? Because yeah, like, because the Yogananda path and the path of Nanda is like it's very much not. I guess it's Dudist in a way when you look into it, but it's very much like you know, get up to meditate and discipline right. and da -da 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 -da. in a way, yeah. And and I think to you know to people on the outside it is that. But Swami Kriyananda gave a talk that was titled "The Balanced Life," and it's one that like I oftentimes when I'm taking a shower in the morning, I just go to the Swami Kriyananda section and just hit shuffle. And one of and that's one of his talks that's come up recently for me a couple of times about the balanced life. And what he talks about is that the balanced life is not one thing. It is different for everyone. And so one of the other things that I point to in Dudism is the fact that the dude says he's on a strict drug regimen. You know, we might think of him as just this bum. And like you said, just smokes weed all day and drinks all day and is just lazy. But he gets shit done. You know, he drives to Marty's, uh, you know, what have you, his, his yeah, cycle, you know, brings two friends with him. You know, he goes to the in and out you know, he goes to Larry Sellers' house, you know, like he's, he's doing things. Like if you were really just drunk and inebriated and way too high to remember anything or do anything, you know, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to provide the friendship that he does or the, you know, the, the, the use, commitment to the bowling team, the commitment to the bowling team. Exactly. You know? And so I, I think that we we also need to look at it through the proper lens that yes, there is the smoking and the drinking and the and the slackering, you know, or, or whatever. But at the same time, that's because the dude is able to do those things. Whereas we as parents or we as students or we as, you know, wherever you are in life, we as workers, you know, like we want a four bedroom house. We don't want a shitty little apartment in, you know, in LA or whatever, that's all the dude could afford. We don't know where he gets his money from. It's of course a source of much debate, but I digress. Um, but to me, it's, it's really just about working with what you have. And the dude is very good at acceptance. Yeah. You know, I don't think he could have said it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. If he hadn't fully accepted in that moment that he in fact was getting his head slammed into his own toilet. Yeah. How he could have been thinking, how humiliating is this? How degrading is this? This isn't happening. These guys, you know, yeah. but he wasn't thinking any of that. He was in the moment 
I believe, because he had a spiritual practice. Like we see hints of it. He has got actual, like in the movie, they, the fans have confirmed that the shoes he's wearing in that scene while the message is playing on the phone in the background while he's doing Tai Chi on the rug, those are Tai Chi shoes. Tai Chi shoes. <laughs> he had to go out and buy purpose-built Tai Chi shoes to do his Tai Chi because he's that into it. And so I think that that little hint to me, and I'm sure people would disagree with this, but I think he's had a dedicated spiritual practice. I think he meditates. I think he's seen teachers. I think he's had transformative experiences because, you know, if we're going by like this whole tethered to this reality thing, you know, like in, in Marvel, we're in the Marvel universe. In The Big Lebowski, it's purportedly to be this universe because he's talking about Ron Kunstler or Ron Kuby and, and, you know, real lawyers in the movie. He's talking about um, the Port Huron Statement. That to me. So, have you dug into this no, at all? So, we dig one? into this a bit on the podcast, and a couple of guests have noticed it too. But if you actually look up the Seattle Seven and the Port Huron statement, mm -hmm. it was an extremely radical left wing um, political movement that was attempting to change what was wrong with government, in essence. I don't know all the details, and mm -hmm. they really don't matter. But it was like revolutionary political, you know, activism. In essence, and, and so the, and in the movie, he's referencing that he was a part of that. When when he's having that conversation with Maude at the end of the movie, and uh -huh. they're smoking, oh, she's yeah, like, "So yeah, what yeah. do you do?" And he's like, "Well, you know, my career's slowed down of late, right. you know." And um, <laughs> it's always so funny to hear the dude talk about what he does because you know the last thing he did supposedly was what roadie for Metallica. Like, right. how young would he have to be to do that? So obviously he's not big on like working or achieving these days, but somehow he gets enough money to have a joint in his pocket and be able to pay for a cup of coffee at the diner. Yeah. So he's doing something, but, um, but the Port Huron statement to me, what, what it says to like my co-host in the podcast, and we've talked about this is that he really was like super into like, I'm going to change the world and then realize what he's up against is our theory that he just came up against forces that were so entrenched, so powerful that he realized like he would have to be something like Martin Luther King or Malcolm X, uh, maybe two bad examples because they were in one movement, but like some social justice warrior who died for the car, gave their life for the cause, I should say, whether it's dying, being assassinated because powerful interests don't like what you're saying, or if it's literally just continuing on until the end. And only, usually these people only ever see the results that they wanted at the very end. And sometimes not even then, you know, these political revolutionaries, they know, like I believe because of past lives, because of what we've done on other planets or other societies, we know that it's possible all the wealth that we have mm -hmm. to have a thriving utopian style society mm -hmm. people can still be pissed people can still have all their problems and drama but within that we can do so much better than we're yeah. doing and and we most of us know that but the sociopaths who are at the top who control everything are just not going to let their power go and they have enough power and enough people on their side that it's just too entrenched at this point so what we came to was that he came up against this and came to the realization that he can't change the world, he can only change himself. Yeah. And then he did. And I think he got to a point where he's not like like so strongly pursuing, you know, these spiritual paths or whatever, but he's just kind of living his life with this spiritual focus. You know, and he's just trying to stay dude and that's his focus is taking it easy. And with the focus of taking it easy comes Letting go, you know, letting go of being mad at the, the Malibu sheriff, you know, letting go of being upset about what Walter did, you know, 
uh, being able to say like there is an unspoken message here walter it's fuck you leave me the fuck alone <laughs> and then two seconds later yeah i'll be at practice you know like that's the kind of person he is that's the kind of friend he is that he's not like whole like that's the thing you notice in the movie the dude doesn't hold a single grudge and he doesn't even hold a single judgment and i think um one of the best parts that shows that is the conversation with Maude. Okay, maybe a bad example because he he did have a little bit of like a, a reaction to Knox Harrington, the video artist, mm -hmm. you know? But my theory on that is because I think Knox is one of those artists who's like so deep into his like created facade of who he is that like he doesn't even know who the real Knox Harrington is anymore and the dude can see that and is like I don't even know what I'm looking at like what are you dude you know like Maude is kind of this mix of this like you know truly like bohemian rebel kind of rebelling against her father kind of thing but then at the same time also you know being uh you know Sub -layer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just remember Adam yeah hi. how's it going um I'm gonna be right out we're moving take in. off your shoes babe we're moving into uh huh Around. Awesome. So I have to go to the next one. Okay, sweetie. Yeah. Wow. It's fascinating, dude. You you've you've gone so much deeper than I have ever imagined <laughs> into this movie. It's it's like really fascinating talking because I've thought a lot of ever since it. Re reading your book, like I've thought yeah. way deeper into it than I ever have before. Yeah. Even to the point where I'm like, whoa, I'm kind of like getting obsessed with this, like really, <laughs> really going deep. And then you're like deeper. <laughs> Sorry. I love it. I, no, there, I mean, no, writing so this good. book over a full year, like I watched it a wow. whole bunch of times during that time. I watched it from one angle, then another, then another. It, breathing it, sleeping yeah, it, everything. Yeah. And for some reason, it keeps, it keeps giving me good insights, you know? So that's really what it is because I think, you know, in Jesus's time, the world was not ready for what Jesus came to bring. And that's why he's still so popular today because, you know, a lot of people are just figuring out not mainstream Christians, I don't mean, but a lot of people who are really tuning in to the spirit and power of yeah. what he brought to the planet. Christ, mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. And and other, you know, mystics. Like I'm looking at a picture of, of Amaji and and you know, other other teachers like her and other great saints um, who've come to this planet just to, you know, give their and share their vibration. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's there, there's another thing I was thinking about recently, um, how uh, Swamiji, my, my teacher, was talking about how um, most teaching is not given through words or techniques or even ideas. Most teaching is given through vibration. Yeah. And the words are just the carrier of that vibration. And sometimes, like I said with Eckhart Tolle, sometimes a signpost to finding that vibration in yourself. Because when we talk about how something resonates with us, you know, it's because like if you've ever seen um, a piano and a violin next to each other, you ever seen this demonstration where you play like one note on the piano and you mm -hmm. can see that resonant chord vibrating on the yeah. on the violin. It's just because like everything being connected, you know, when you just get to that certain level of consciousness, you can fully understand like Yogananda used to say ideas are universal and not individually rooted which is why when you're upset, all you can think about are like revenge fantasies and how and reason more reasons for being upset mm -hmm. versus when you're happy, you know, everything you were upset about seems silly. Why would I ever be upset about that? I'm happy now. But it's because in that state of consciousness, whether high or low, you're only picking up on thoughts and ideas that resonate at that level. And so 
that's why I think The Big Lebowski has so much to teach us is I think it was a truly inspired work of art, <laughs> you know, like Prince, for example. Yeah. I saw Prince in an interview and he was saying like, you know, like he, he, he is somewhat of a godly man, but he wasn't like a preacher. He didn't start a church. You know, he's not trying to convert people to Jesus or whatever. Right. But he said all his music came from God. Wow. And look at what that inspired. It inspired people to listen to it and dance and move their body and let things go. You know what I mean? And like, you don't need a Bible or, or a teaching when you're just dancing. You're just, you're, you're with God. You're with spirit. You're just having fun in that way. Yeah. And, and you're and, plugged into the, the information connection, which is what exactly. those teachings come from in the first place. So exactly. you're getting your own link with it. Yeah. And so I think while the Coen brothers never set out to make this inspired thing, I think they just, because they were so deep in their medium, you know, they just, they wanted to be great filmmakers. They wanted to tell great stories. Mm -hmm. And this was really a great story that was so funny because, okay, so I'll also bring up this point in a lot of uh, the original Dudas. So the main book that I think of as like the Dudas Bible, because mm -hmm. there's a couple, but the main one I think of is the Abide Guide. And the Abide Guide kind of combines a lot of different um, writings that he did before. But one of the things he talks about is how the Coen brothers use a wide angle lens mm -hmm. more than any other directors mm -hmm. in their works, in a lot of their works like Fargo and you know Burn After Reading and Big Lebowski. But in the Big Lebowski, we see a lot of wide angles and also what what they pointed out is that the movie literally takes a wide angle on life yeah. doesn't talk a lot about death but donnie dies doesn't talk a lot about birth but it's mentioned that the big lebowski did help maude conceive you yeah. know so like life goes on in a way and so because of the fact that we're just thinking about these two ideas life and death in the context of all these other things happening you kind of realize how fucking absurd it is. You know, Walter throwing out a ringer for a ringer, you know, his plan. Like one of the other things was like, you know, um, when Walter was like, you know, I got this simple plan, dude. It's so great. I'm going to grab one of them, beat it out of him. And then the dude points out why that's a stupid idea. And Walter's like, no, no, that fucks up our plan. <laughs> the dude is like, well, maybe you should explain them to him, Walter. It's so fucking simple. I think they'll understand it. You know, <laughs> like just realizing like, that's the same thing we do all the time is we think, oh, we have this simple plan. We got it all figured out now. You know, our fucking troubles are over, like Walter says in the theater. And then what happens? God yeah. laughs, you know, and yeah. life goes on and just, you know, we don't actually know what happened in the bowling tournament. Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> no idea. And it what was up with matter. that weird guy, G Jesus? Yeah, Jesus. Like, yeah. why was he even, like, he didn't do anything, like, functionally, just provided this no. weird, abstract, like, yeah strange bit of comedy <laughs> and that's what i realized i was going to make jesus one of the characters in the middle of the oh, book yeah. like to embody but then i i looked back and realized he doesn't do shit in the movie yeah, he, he has these great little sequences it's the it's like the most with the least in terms of character development and also why yeah. does walter not react to jesus walter freaks out about to everybody who mm -hmm. crosses the line but jesus is right up in his face and walter just sits calmly and he's can like, i just say christoph like, dude's about to He's about to crack. I am in yes, I am enjoying so much this conversation because that is such a good question that I actually have an answer for. Oh I have God. a theory. Oh I have God. a theory because I have thought about this. No, someone someone pointed that out in a Facebook group. Like Walter should have been pissed at him. Like, you know, he just let Jesus walk all over him. Like that wasn't very cool. And he saw it as like Jesus insulting him. Uh -huh. And he but it's so funny. I saw this comic this morning where there was a great teacher and the student came up to the teacher and said, master, that man just insulted you. Why did you not challenge him to a fight? Uh -huh. And he says, my students, 
When someone offers you a gift and you do not accept it, yes. who does the gift belong I to? I love that story. Who does the gift belong to? It belongs to the person trying to give it away because you did not accept it. So when someone comes at you with jealousy, anger, hatred, whatever, if you don't accept it, it literally just stays with them. Yeah. But if you take that on yourself, you are doubling it. Dude, that's next level. That's and another. So, good. so, so, that, so I love that question so much because the answer <laughs> is very simply, Walter did not accept those things from Jesus because, 100% because, he saw himself as better than Jesus. Uh, right yeah. or wrong, like whether Jesus actually like exposed himself to an eight-year-old or, I mean, you know, we assume he did because we see him going door to door in that sequence, yeah. right? So we assume he actually exposed himself to an eight-year-old. We assume he did six months in Chino. This is a great background anyway. I love it. It's awesome. <laughs> this, is, this is parenthood right here. Outside, guys. Um, and uh, we assume all that is true. And so Walter knowing that is just like, why would I listen to anything yeah. from someone like you? Like he sees Smokey. Smokey is, you know, he's he's a pacifist. He's a conscientious objector. Like Smokey's a good dude. You know, he's got his head on straight. He tries to calmly say, my toe wasn't over. Yeah. You know, what are you talking about, Walter? Wasn't over. He's not going to fight him. And Walter knows that. But for Walter, there's a totally different principle at stake in that case. Because now he sees Smokey as an equal. But Smokey now is trying to infringe on what is rightfully Walter's. That eight is a zero because Walter says that that is the rule. That is the line across this line. You do not, you yeah. know? And so <laughs> when, um, when we talk about the dude and Walter, what I see, you know, the dude, of course, we see as like a guy just, you know, with a spiritual practice and this calm presence. I think Walter recognizes that and recognizes that, Vietnam did some things to him that he doesn't like. Mm -hmm. And I think he's trying to get away from that, but also still just being himself. Mm -hmm. You know, he's, he's not like forcing it. He's not trying to be anyone he's not, but you know, he does point out to the dude, like, that's the other thing. Like, like we just said earlier, one of the dude's great skills is letting things go. Yeah. Walter is genuinely calm in the car after flashing, through, you know, waving the piece around on the lanes. Yeah. You know, and when he's saying like calmer than you are, like we laugh because it's so funny because he really is calmer than the dude. But the dude is totally right. You can't just do that, Walter. You know, and Walter doesn't see the problem. And so that's what the dude is frustrated about. Why don't you see the problem, Walter? He's like, what, what problem? I'm perfectly calm. Yeah. You know? And so that to me is just, you know, like... I think there's a lot more in that movie when you start to think about energy and vibrations. And that's, I think, maybe with the dude's guide to life, what I wanted to bring. Because another part of energy and vibrations that is in that movie is like the masculine feminine thing. Oh. So when you talk about the dude, you know, as someone that you want to emulate as kind of going against society, I see that in a lot of different factors. And I write about a couple of them in the book. So one of them, of course, is the easy to see one where it's like the opposite of him from the beginning um, is the narrator who is a cowboy. And we don't really know he's a cowboy, but with the, the Western music playing, the tumbleweed, the way he talks, you know, the way the, the stranger, as we call him, introduces himself as the narrator in the very beginning, we can see this is like old-timey Western dude, right? Mm -hmm. And he doesn't have anything bad to say about the dude, 
And, you know, he does have some good things to say. And that's what I think is interesting is it's like he's very secure in who and what he is as a stranger as like, you know, a Western cowboy. And the dude is very secure in not being that at all. Because yeah. the cowboy represents what? Kind of this stoic, you know, unemotional kind of uh, independence and very much embodies, I think, what was the American spirit for a long time, or at least like one of the main threads of the American spirit. And I think what the dude is coming to bring now, and, and I'll, I'll get to the larger point, but what the dude is coming to bring now is like, what is the American spirit anymore? Hmm. You know, because what we see from our politicians, the American spirit is greed. Greed and, and corruption. Greed and, and corruption and lying and, and war and, and warmongering. Selling your soul. But, yeah. but you talk to 99.9% .9 of Americans and you find they don't like that shit either. Mm -hmm. So then you go deeper. So what is the spirit of America? And it's a lot of things the dude embodies, right? Like friendship and loyalty. I think Americans really value that. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's um, you know, non-judgmentalness. I think, you know, as much as we want to scream about like, you know, LGBT and wokeness and the whole culture war and whatever, I think most people on both sides are generally very tolerant of most people. And they just want people to, you know, uh, to exist as, as, you know, extensions of their own self, right? Yeah. Like, how would we be if our neighbors were all the same as us? But, oh, you know, your neighbor has different colored skin and eats different food and likes different kinds of music. And so, like, do you see the superficial differences or do you see the underlying sameness? You know, Yogananda would talk about, like, underneath our skin, we're all red, you know, mm -hmm. we're, we're all the same. So, um, anyway, so that was one of the things is kind of showing the, the different example to what a lot of people think of as, as the American... Um, you know, the American dream or the average American or whatever. And then there's also the successful businessman, right? The millionaire. But then we pull back the curtain like the Wizard of Oz yeah. and we see he's not all that. Yeah. And that's kind of the same with, with America. You know, you, you, you see these men like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and we laud them up as these great titans of industry. But then you realize Elon Musk inherited a fucking emerald mine, took over PayPal and Tesla. He was never the original inventor. Huh. He maybe did a great job with them, fine, but it's all a mix. Yeah. It's all a mix. Yes, he's a genius, but also he's a dumbass. Yeah. In a lot of ways, Elon Musk is an idiot. And like, I don't want to condemn the man. I don't want to say he as a person is an idiot. But like, there was this tweet I saw with this guy. He's like, when Elon Musk talked about rockets, I believed him because I didn't know about rockets. When Elon Musk talked about, uh, what was the other one? Something else, I believed him because I didn't know about that. But when he started talking about computer programming, something I've spent many years understanding, I realized how dumb he was and I stopped listening to him about rockets or you know anything else yeah. anymore. And so that's just, you know, sometimes what happens with these people is, is we make them in our own image. So to, add, to bring this back to the topic, uh -huh. I always thought it was very interesting how you notice throughout the movie is that everyone sees something different in the dude and the dude never minds that. The dude never minds that Maude sees him as a way to conceive. He doesn't yeah. mind that the big Lebowski sees him as a way to, Just you know, waste. do a handoff, yeah, do a handoff you know, yeah. and he goes from limo to limo, you know, doing all these things for all these different people. And he never complains about it, you know, and, and the, the, the sheriff of Malibu sees him as a, a scum sucking bum that he doesn't want around his town. And he's like, sorry, I wasn't listening. Yeah. Which you know? is another kind of one, like the toilet scene. It's just like mm -hmm. being in the present, just like this guy's just drilling into me. Right. <laughs> Sorry, right. Really Coffee because, cup thrown in his right. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so funny. Like, because those guys, he knows also that those guys thrive on, you know, control and power. And if you aren't listening to them and not like, you know, playing into their game, then it's like, what power do they have? Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I want to bring it around for a second because uh, the Coen brothers. Yes. So you're talking about just how, how was this inspired thing. And, mm. and recently I was hearing a thread by Rick Rubin and he was saying, yeah, this is the reason why there's so many shitty crappy movies out nowadays mm. because people are making art and it's not even art anymore. They're making stuff based on what they think other people are going to think about it, how they yes. think other people are going to react. So it yes. just basically castrates the whole spirit of the art right at the get go. But then that made me think about just now the big Lebowski is a real movie. I'm not going to say the last real movie because there are real movies, yeah. but it's just a great example of a real movie. Yes. It wasn't catering to what polls would say no. or what an audience would say. It was just no. like free form. They didn't have their like ideal viewer in yeah. mind before they made it. No, know? they didn't. And there was tons of, I'm sure, tons of like improv because those actors are just... Well, what's funny, the Coen brothers are actually famous for not allowing improvisation on their lines. The, the, I've heard stories where people would try and improv lines and the Coen brothers are, okay, could you just do it how it's written? <laughs> and and you notice, like, there is some, like, relatively unnatural dialogue in the movie, you know, that might not be how characters would, like, naturally react, but that's the other thing. I don't think they were trying to make it very, like, natural, you know? Have you ever met someone like Maud in your life, you know, like really like that or really like, you know, Walter or, or Brandt, you know, they're characters, they're caricatures, yeah. you know, but, but yeah, no, I love the point you're making though. Cause I love Rick Rubin and I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. It's brilliant. And the, it also reminds me of like, like, like why I love the Grateful Dead so much, for mm. example, is just cause they, they just were not, not mainstream. Like now they kind of are like really are probably, but right. by the time it was just like, they were really genuine musicians making mm -hmm. art for art's sake. And like, look what that created. It created something that wasn't super popular in the beginning, but over time it's just like exponentially gotten so impactful. Well, and it's funny you bring up the Grateful Dead because there's a lot of parallels to the Big Lebowski in the sense that people who um, like them really like them. You yeah. know, it's, it's like something that it's like you can call it a cult following because, you know, there's a lot of people who might like casually like NFL football. You know, but then you know a couple of those people that are like, oh my gosh, you know, it's my life, you yeah. know. And, and there were those people that, you know, I don't think anyone followed like Creed around the country, you know, or Nickelback. Yeah. But people would follow The Grateful Dead because yeah. it was that inspiring. And people now go to screenings at movie theaters even, what, 25 years later huh. when The Big Lebowski is in theaters. How many 25-year-old movies can do that? You know, have anyone show up? So I think there's something to be said about that. Like we were talking before it started how The Big Lebowski was a flop yeah. when it came out. And The Grateful Dead weren't, you know, um, the Beatles. Yeah. You know, they weren't, the, they weren't the Beatles. They weren't a giant sensation, but they were big enough that you, you knew about them. You yeah. know, you knew someone that followed them or whatever. But um, I think that's really what it is, is that a lot of times true genius taken from true inspiration doesn't resonate always in the moment that it's brought yeah. you know like picasso picasso never made more than like a hundred dollars i think from all of his paintings in his entire life he died broke Whoa. and penniless it was like his brother it was like his benefactor and now they sell for millions why because he was creating from true inspiration yeah so that you know 
I think, and that's why I hope this book, you know, will do well eventually because I did really feel inspired by it. And at a certain point, like I felt like the book itself wanted to be finished. Wow. Like I had done enough to have something that I would be disappointed if I let it go, but it wasn't close enough to the end that like I could just easily finish it. You know, it needed some real work still. Huh. And I was at that point, that, that messy middle, as I say. Um, and by the way, there is... Um, I think it might be, do you ever listen to the podcast with Malcolm Gladwell? Uh, I, I have, yeah. So I think it was an episode with him. It might have been a totally different podcast, but there was an episode where someone was talking to the creators of Pixar. And, you know, Pixar's made all these great, amazing movies. And the creators of a lot of these Pixar movies talk about how there's always this point in the middle of making a movie where you kind of want to give up shit's gone off the rails you don't really know what the message is anymore you don't really know what you're doing it's different from where you started you can kind of see where it's going but it's not really clear you don't really know it's going to be a success but you just kind of have to have the faith that if you go with your original inspiration and you keep drawing from inspiration not from like you said what my audience was right. like or or who's going to watch it and what are they going to think but truly from like, what am I trying to say? What is the inspiration here? That's where the magic happens. And it does happen like magic, yeah. you know? And so I think when we talk about these spiritual things, we kind of have to be open to, you know, that magic happening. And, and we can't see ourselves as the, the creators of the magic, but we can certainly see ourselves as channels of it. So how did you navigate that when it got tough? Because here's the thing I've been thinking about lately. Yeah. I was talking to my buddy yesterday. Yeah. Uh, with with creative people who are like real like like the, the artists we love like let's go back to Grateful Dead or yes. like Charles Bukowski the, sure. the poet. Yep. That guy didn't go to his typewriter and be like, oh, it's it's eight o'clock. It's it's time for me. I gotta get to work. I'm some gonna sit do. down and make myself. But he, yeah. Maybe some do. Yeah. But and and the Grateful Dead like maybe it was hard, but those guys had the, just the music that was just flowing through, and, and it was just like their love. And you mm -hmm. see them on stage just having time of their lives, mm -hmm. you know. And, and then. And, and I'm thinking, like, with your book, like, when you got to that point, because you must have enjoyed writing it. 100%, yeah. But yeah. were there times where you're like, like, fuck this, I don't want to do this anymore? Yeah. And, then, and, then, and then how did you, how did you like, get back on the... Yeah, good on question. The, the um, yeah, so it wasn't a long period. I won't say that, like, I really suffered with it, because the beginning stages of the book were so fun, just throwing out ideas and putting them all on a page and throwing them and throwing them and making them stick. And then there came a point where I realized... As much as I liked a lot of these ideas that I came up with, a number of things that I'd originally put in like the first roughest draft of the book couldn't stay. And it was that willingness to throw away my own ideas that was this catapult, hmm. you know, like where I'm like, okay, you know, it, it was almost like I kind of let the book take over. But there was a period of time where it oh, was just like, like, hey, Rain. Can you show um, our friends the the playground, the the swings? Because you guys are a little bit rowdy, and then we're going to be wrapping this up real soon. But you could show Henry and Daniel the swings. Have you seen the swings, Daniel? Go see. Yeah, go check out this. Oh, they're they're at the front. They're on the side. Rain. Oh, yeah, she's. Thank you. Um, yeah. So I, I do remember though. It was like a really tough week, and I was. There were two things that happened. I was kind of at the point where I was thinking about dropping it. And I was almost like rationalizing in my head, like that I could, 
Right. Come on. This dog's really friendly. He's really friendly. That's Rain's other dog. Okay, right. show, show him the swings, Rain. There we go. Closed door. All right. So <laughs> I got to this point where I was trying to justify, like, it would be okay. You know, I don't need to write a book. Okay. I don't need to be an author. You know, the, the Dudas creators already wrote a bunch of books. I can just maybe write some articles on their blogs or whatever. Right. And, you know, maybe I'll come back to this book in a year or something. I don't know. And then I was at... Um, but I was like still open to finishing, but I was like, I kind of, you know, I need something. And, and the universe is like, okay, you need something here. Watch this. That's crazy. <laughs> I was at the co-op as a briar patch and I was checking out and uh, I had a 10% discount and you know how you have like uh, the accounts on there and mm -hmm. he needed to see my ID to know that I was the person with the account and not just using whatever. And so I could get the 10% discount. And he said, I just need to see something with your name on it. And I said, Oh, like a Ralph's card. And just from that little thing, he goes, oh, I'm actually a dudist myself. No way. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, how did, that wasn't even a line from the movie, bro. Like, of course you're a dudist if you get that tiny little reference. And so we got to talking about it. And I was like, yeah, I'm writing a book. And he's like, really? And he gets like really excited about the book I'm writing. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not sure about it. And he's like, man, you got to write that book. Whoa. Like, it was so cool. And it was just, it's giving me goosebumps even just talking about it. But it was like, he said the one thing that literally, propelled me to the finish i didn't have one more second thought about finishing the book he said you know there hasn't been a new dudas book written in like 10 years like people are thirsty for it yeah you're giving like yeah. a new research yeah. of life into the and i was thing. like oh my god that's true sure sure it's already just let him off he's he's on the leash Oshel is on the leash yeah just let him out he's in the front Oh wait, he's in the back. Just have Henry just push the bamboo latch up. But Henry does. Henry can do it. I bet he's doing it right now. Yeah. Thank you, dude. Yeah. So that gave me life, and wow, I was that's amazing. Like, the universe is like that. Yeah. It does love us, and it wants. It has. It well, has no, its... and I see now like how like what an example that is or could be to a lot of people because like I truly like some part of me here's the other thing that I kept in my mind is some part of me wanted this book to suck mm -hmm. because if it sucked someone would look at it and go I could do better Whoa. and they would do it oh wow you know what I mean and that thought good good go play with them because we're, we're wrapping it up they're okay yeah. Okay, so for the listeners, we just had a dog fight on the front porch. Rain was right. Rain was right. <laughs> Cole, uh, yeah, Oshla usually wants to be alpha, and, and Cole is starting to want to be alpha now. Oh, so, yeah, okay. So there's a little blood. There you go. A little dog blood. All right. Holy shit. Yeah, <laughs> so but I do remember, crazy. I know, your, your heart's all pumping because you're outside, but I remember what you were talking about, so I'll, I'll okay, get yeah, back yeah, in. Yeah. But yeah, no, I, I just realized at a certain point that the process of creating the art for this book okay. was so fun. Putting the chapters together, putting the ideas together, creating a cohesive book that from beginning to end, I would want to read. Yes. And so I was just kind of at a certain point also creating it just for myself, yeah. you know, because there were these Dudas books and they were great. But one thing I kind, I'm not going to lie, I kind of hated about the Dudas books was that it felt like the author went through with a fine tooth comb and tried to squeeze 
every single tiny minuscule reference to a line in the movie that he possibly could uh-huh. even if it completely like i had to like switch my brain to read what he's trying to huh. say you know i felt like he sacrificed the ability to understand what he's saying in order to make a like supposedly a joke about the movie or a reference to the movie but it wasn't even that funny you know it wasn't even like worth doing yeah. you know but he had to do these like mental backflips to like fit it in there god bless him for it. i think the the oliver benjamin and uh, dwayne utsi who who wrote the, the books the abide guide yeah geniuses yeah they're just, they're great they're very they're geniuses, smart but, I, I but honestly, they were coming at it from a different yeah way. and i honestly didn't even make it all the way through the bad guide mm-hmm. i made it definitely through your book and, yeah. and i like have gone into it again and yeah so yeah so that was the thing i wanted something that was written like this and i you know hope to find other people that can understand it better because what i realized was that they tapped into something like the movie itself did with the religion and that is this universal thing that you can come at from a lot of different angles yeah and it's like with with like the the taoist flavor Mm -hmm. where it's like just just go with the flow and just be one with the currents and Mm -hmm. and and get out of the way Mm -hmm. i feel like that was like like that main like which is like a really actually a really profound spiritual teaching it's like extremely because it's so simple yes and thank you for saying the word and, and simple. It's so simple. And there's yes. no like embellishment. It's like yes. there's deity you gotta worship and this right. thing you gotta do. Yes. And da, 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 da. It's yes. like no, it's just like the universal currents of nature and yes. you harmonize with that and that is the way to navigate and enjoy life and be yes. a benefit to others. A hundred percent. And that's why I saw its universality, because he didn't try to make a religion from scratch he relied on ideas and philosophies from a true religion. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's one of the things when I came onto my own spiritual path is like, you know, there are some like Christians that when they become Christians, then they start screaming to everyone else about how they need to become Christians oh, or they're going to burn in hell. Yeah, and, so you know, weird. so annoying. But like at the same time, we can recognize the divinity and power of Jesus Christ, the man, yeah. but like realize his followers are a little nuts. And what I realized is that the followers who scream the loudest about how everyone else needs to do what they're doing are the ones with the most doubts. Yeah. You know, they have the most profound doubts within themselves. And I realized this because when I came onto the spiritual path and I found that true sureness in myself that I am sure that Yogananda is a true master. I am sure that these people are my spiritual family. Mm-hmm. I was so sure about that. And then I look around and I'm like, I don't need to tell anyone a damn thing, nice. you know, and that's, and th- that's what this book is too. It's not like you have to do this, but it's like, Hey dude, like if you find yourself reacting to things in a way that you don't like, there are ways, there are other ways. Cause I was the same. I was reacting to so many things that I didn't like. And someone came along and said, Hey, there's a better way. And I said, really? Huh. And then I did those things. And now I find myself a much more peaceful, calm, patient, understanding person, yeah. you know, with my children, with my family, with the people I love the most. I find myself much more calm and able to handle like anything. And it's just because getting back to what you said, the simplicity. And that's why I think if, if you can get down to like the simplest things in your life, like strip away everything else, because the dude's life is a very simple one. He has his drinking, his J's, his bowling and his friends. And that's pretty much it. You know, his Tai Chi on and the like rug, he'll pay rent when you know, he can, he'll pay rent when he can <laughs> you know, eventually uh, occasionally go to the what have you and give, give Marty some notes, but uh, it's a very simple life. And that's what uh, I think I loved about it even before I found Yogananda's teachings. And one of the things Yogananda talked about was simple living and high thinking, Yeah, high thinking, meaning 
thinking about, you know, life and death, the universe and energy and giving and, you know, just thinking about these high spiritual ideals all the time because, like I was saying, thoughts are universal. When you're in that higher state of consciousness, you're getting elevated solutions to problems. Yeah. You're getting elevated thoughts that sort of help you put things in perspective. You're just receiving them. You yeah. know, you don't need to generate them. You don't need to like work hard to like, oh, I need to think positive, you know, like, know. as a lot of people so do. So my mind right now is referencing the big Lebowski in the bathtub listening to whale music. Mm -hmm. DJ. It's mm -hmm. like, and he's got all this stuff going on in his life. The nihilists want to get him and he's owing money and blah, blah, blah. But he's like, candles, bathtub, mm -hmm. listen to whale music because that's really the most appropriate response to you can't solve a problem at the same level that it's you know generated. Exactly. So, so we, we have to find that higher. And I, I think in the movie, one of the threads you'll notice is like what happens after the bowling alley scene. He's in his house. What happens after the mod scene or what did happen just before the bathtub scene? Whatever was just before the bathtub scene was something crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. And then the bathtub was a chill him out, right? And he keeps coming back to his home. Yeah. And I think that to me is a profound metaphor for what we can do in our spiritual lives, which is just keep coming back to center. Back to center. Back keep coming back. And however you do that, whatever teacher helps you do that or guided meditation or, or you know, even a walk in nature or whatever it is, like that's the thing. It doesn't matter. Your center is where I can really connect with you from my center. And that's where we find unity. Yeah. That's where we find, you know, peace and harmony. Like what we're really going for in this world. Like we want to be understood by people. You know, if only, if only the, like thinking from it of like a small minded person, like if only the enemies of America could understand that we're good people, maybe they wouldn't hate us and want to attack us so much. But it's like, uh, you know, also it's the same way, you know, we need to understand others. And the only way that mutual understanding happens is when we both individually come to our own center. Mm. So that's, you know, in, in all of this, in, in writing yeah. the book, Coming doing this podcast, doing the other podcast, that's all I'm really hoping to inspire in people is just to look at life from that perspective that it's like, it's not about the magic pill. It's not about the right religion. It's not about, you know, the right mindset even because mindset's and it's not even about Like to me, also, it's not about like becoming this like future self. It's not becoming like more like Jeff Bezos or yes. becoming the person with more toys and yes. shit and yes. all the stuff in this material kind of trap. Mm -hmm. it, it's, it's really just settling into like, your own perfection. Yes. Well, no, it's funny you say exactly that because I was in a kind of a dark place with myself. Like just, you know, to be vague about it, like I, I was realizing that I have a pattern of like going after these big kind of entrepreneurial dreams. And then when they don't work out, just being extremely hard on myself and, and just kind of having that cycle on big and small levels. And so I talked to my, my spiritual advisor, my spiritual teacher about it. Um, and what she was saying is she had, cause I knew, you know, when she was younger, um, she's been at Ananda like all 50 years pretty much. And when she was younger, early years at Ananda, she had a lot of like anxiety and self-esteem issues. She'd always be feeling like, you know, she needs to be this other person. Mm -hmm. Like you said, like this yeah. future version, this better version. And like what she was saying is that she knew that better version was out there. But she only found peace when she fully accepted the flawed, the, you know, tragic, the in, incomplete version of whatever she was right in that moment. Mm. You know, and I think that's another, you know, to come back to like the idea of the power of now in the present moment. Mm -hmm. 
I think that's, that's part of it, you know, that we can find silence in the present moment, we can find stillness, you know, and, and the dude I think is very good at that. That's how he's able to let things go is just coming to whatever's happening in the present. But if we can come to a complete acceptance, and this is like literally just like yesterday, I'm sort of embodying this in myself, but when I come to a complete acceptance, even just for a minute of like exactly where I am, who I am, what I am right now with all the things I want to change, all the things I wish were different in my life, whatever, just like really accept that. There is like a real peace that comes on the back of that. Mm. You know, just a real sense of like, you know, okay, what now? You know, baby steps, practicality. Yeah, you yeah know? and I, th- I think of that too with like, with like our kids. Mm-hmm. It's like, if my kid isn't living up to all these ideals and standards, isn't achieving in school or, or like already mastering some kind of like instrument or something like that that's the last thing i'm going to do is harsh on them and make them feel like shit but then i look at myself like you were saying with the entrepreneurial endeavors and this and that it's like i do that to myself so yes. harsh and it's like well i wouldn't do that to my kid like don't like i don't mean like don't do that to yourself like, yeah that is a very dudist thing you just said and instead of using kids in that i use uh the idea of friendship and so um, in that section, I talk about how being the dude means being a friend. Yeah. And so, and that, that was because there are so many people and I am one of them. I am top of that list. Like I talk to myself in the rudest and meanest way. Yeah, would you ever talk to your friend that way? Never talk to my friend that way. Never. Oh my God, my best friend, I love him so much. You yeah. know, I would never hurt his feelings like that, but I hurt my own damn feelings yeah. with the things that I think and without even like giving that, that space, you know what I mean? Because when I talk about that space, it's like, like going back to Walter and Jesus, right? There was that space where Walter, you know, could see, okay, I don't need to listen to whatever is being said because he's a pederast dude. You know? <laughs> I don't even need to go down. <laughs> I don't level. even need to go down to that <laughs> level. I'm just going to chill where I am because you know what I mean? And so he has that space and because there's literally my body here, your body there, there is space between us, right? But when it's your own mind, there's no like quote unquote space there. And so it's like, that's what I've been really trying to cultivate is that space of like, should I listen to this thought? Is this a true thought? Is this a helpful thought? And what level of consciousness is this thought emanating from? Uh, Is it a consciousness level I don't want to be at? Then I don't need to entertain that thought. But that's often when we talk about like, you know, spiraling, right? People can spiral. And I think that's just because they entertain the thought that came along with that consciousness. And now they're fucking in, they're deep in oh. that, that consciousness they don't want to be in. And they're identified and, with it. Yup. And a lot of times it's just because we entertain that thought. And I think if we can create that space by just reminding ourselves that, nope, I'm going to be a real dude and I'm going to only talk to myself. Because we don't see, that's the other thing is like, we don't see the dude as an example of someone struggling with their spiritual practice. Like, in a way we do. Like, a, there, there's a moment, you know, at the bowling alley where like, just that that song is playing in the background and it's kind of really slowly zooming in on the dude while Walter's like smoking the cigarette and bowling and he just looks so bummed, right? But like you can kind of quickly realize like the fallacy that he, like where he came from. And he even says at the end of the movie, you know, we could have just been sitting here with pee stains on my rug right now. You know, he realizes he never needed to listen to Walter in the first place, (laughs) that this was some issue of injustice (laughs) or whatever, you know? He never needed to do most of the things he did in the movie. But like, I think the turning point for me when the dude gets really undued 
is the moment that he accepts what Brandt is saying when Brandt is like, her life is in your hands, dude. Uh You know, the fact that the dude, like I said about the gift, you know, if you don't accept the gift, but the dude accepted it, he accepted the idea that her life was in his hands. Mm -hmm. And then he has his most miserable section of the whole movie where he's just like, what are we going to do, Walter? And Walter's totally detached. Walter's where the dude should be. And now we get to see the Walter being more dude. He's like, what do you mean, what are we going to do about it? She she kidnapped herself. Just yeah. tell the big Lebowski whatever you want. Yeah. Who cares? You know, It's all going to work itself out. And what's funny is all the times that Walter was right. He was right that it wasn't her toe. He was right that the yeah. nihilists were a bunch of amateurs. Yeah. And he was right that she really did kidnap herself, even when the dude didn't even believe it anymore. Yeah. You know, so like... We can see that, you know, that's another thing I love that like truth comes from many places and we don't need to just say like, oh, I'm only going to get my truth from really spiritual people. Like, yeah, like maybe only listen to spiritual people's lectures, but like take the lessons where you can get them. Yeah. You know, because I've gotten a lot of lessons from people who are much dumber or, you know, less evolved or whatever you want to say, less conscious, let's say. Like I've I've gotten so many lessons because of how I reacted mm-hmm. to the situation. And then I look back and I'm like, oh, I was, I was, you know, like the dude, like I was looking at it like the big, I needed to get justice for what I thought the big Lebowski did to me. And that wasn't, you know, that was never true. But you go along with it for a while. So, you know, that's... Once in a while, while you get shown the light in the strangest places if you look at it right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what it is, is just kind of being open, you know? And I think the dude is a very kind of open, open guy, you know? And also open to like learning new things. That's why he repeats so many things in the movie. You know, some people have, have said in Facebook groups that like they think the dude is not very smart because of how many things he like repeats, you mm-hmm. know? And like, you'll hear it like, like this aggression will not stand. You hear it on the TV. Then he says it to the big Lebowski later, you know, or things like that. And, um, I realize it's really just because he's so open to like learning new, th- learning new phrases, new ways of communicating with people, new ways to say what he wants to say. Like he didn't say this aggression will not stand in a, you know, in a, in a off topic context. Like, the way he said it, like he could have thought of that himself. Mm-hmm. We only knew it was something he heard because we saw that part earlier in the movie. But if yeah. the filmmakers left that out, we would have thought he just came up with that on his own, you yeah. know? So I, I just think that, you know, a certain level of openness to knowledge is, is another kind of due to I just want to share one yeah. of my favorite lines of your book. Oh, please. It's coming from, um, it's coming from your mantras. Okay. So Adam gives a whole mess of mantras, Buddhist mantras, and the one, the, the yeah, the kids. Are here. <laughs> it's okay. They, <laughs> we can say it. Yeah. It's so sacred. It just bypasses right. any kind of like. So 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 the the holiest of holy Buddhist mantras, and literally your answer for everything. <laughs> so the mantras, fuck it. Fuck it. Yeah. And, and uh, this is really interesting, kind of because it kind of circles around with the whole Ananda sort of sub theme here. It was years ago, I was at the co-op, and I saw one of. I'm sure you, I'm just going to say his name because it's he would appreciate it probably, but yeah. Ganesha. Yeah, he's yeah. kind of an old school Ananda. He's been there forever. Yeah. He's like a put together guy. I don't know what he would say, physics or something like that. And yeah, said, some oh, smart thing. He's yeah. like, so how's, how's it going? My name, my, oh, my name is Kapila. I was like, my God, it's all right. He's like, you know, Kapila, sometimes the most spiritual thing to say is, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I didn't think Ananda people swore, period. Like, He's like, Ganesha yeah, you just, said you just walk around and say, fuck it. I mean, yeah, Ganesha. Like, talk about the universe coming in <laughs> with 
the thing you need to hear. Like, it's like the universe is so orchestrated. And I was like, I walked away from that. I'm like, dumbfounded. Like, and yeah. I'll never forget it. Yeah. And, and, uh, and yeah, like, he's an Ananda. And then you're from Ananda. And all these Buddhist <coughs> teachings are coming around. But That's the fucking so thing, funny. like, eliminate, it's like, it's like better than Prozac. It's like yeah. the most helpful thing so many times a day. Oh my God. No, I am laughing so hard because like viewers, if you knew this man, you would know like, he is a straight laced church dude who is quiet, soft spoken, yeah. respectful. Like to even swear at someone like that like, is so funny. Like just like an exemplary Ananda yes, member. Truly, truly. But that's so funny. I know. Um, but yeah, no, just, just on that section though, I just realized like how many different ways you could kind of use that, you uh -huh. know? And as both a way, I thought the, the brilliance of fuck it was the fact that you can use it both as a way to let go of the past and stop worrying about the future. Huh. It's such a good way to stay like in the present. Like, oh, I'm, I'm worrying. And like, you notice you're worrying. You're like, ah, oh, fuck it. You know, let, yeah. let go of that. Or like, you're looking at the future and you want to do something, but you're kind of worried about it. And you're like, you know what? And I'm doing it. Yeah. You know, like, let's go. Like getting that power. Yeah, you're like saying so. fuck it to the resistance in you. Yes. Yes. Um, do it anyway. Exactly. Like, fuck it, I'm going to do this. Exactly. And so that's why when I made like the four pillars, I had to choose one because I wanted the four pillars to be about, you know, what's really important. And that's just being here now, abiding, you know. And so in order to abide, if you're, if you're just um, reliving the past through memory and telling yourself a story and, oh, I wish it could have been different or regretting it or whatever, you're not being dude, you're not abiding. If you're worrying about the future and what's going to happen and blah, blah, blah. Oh no, you know, I have this thing I don't want to lose or, Oh, I really want this thing. I hope it all works out so I can get it. You're not, you're not abiding. You're not in the moment, you know? And, and then dude just abides. to be in the moment, that's what I think we appreciate so much about the dude. Like think of those moments, right? In the bath with the whale songs. We love it. We're like there with him. Yeah. When he's in his car playing the credence, banging the ceiling, we love it. We're with him, you know, until the roach falls on his lap and hilarity ensues, you know? But like in those moments when he's at his most dude, like we're with him, when he's bowling, you know, when, when it's one of the good times, like we're with him. And it's because we know that like we want that, you know, we know that we want that peace, but we don't know why it's so hard to come by. I think a lot of people, I didn't for many years, I didn't know why it was so hard to come by until I realized it's because I'm reliving the past so much without meaning to, and I'm worrying about the future so much without meaning to screw it up or, you know, whatever, like give myself, like, like I, I just watched this documentary about the world cup and a lot of the top players, it was all the captains that were being interviewed, all the best players on the team and all the captains had this great talk and relationship with fear and anxiety and all these things that naturally come with being so close to your goal and not knowing whether or not you're going to get there, mm -hmm. you know? And, and so there, I, I think, you know, to, to go back to what we we're saying, there's just kind of lessons everywhere, but it's like, when we just look at our own life, you know, it doesn't have to be winning the world cup to be something that we're afraid of. It can be something small and dumb, you know, but like to be able to just look at ourselves and go to that center and find that place where those anxieties don't exist and those worries don't exist and, and live more there. You know, if this podcast or this book inspires anything, I hope it's that. Yeah, you know? exactly. Because, because that's what I've been pursuing in my life and I know you've been pursuing in your life and we've been coming at it from different angles. Yeah. Similar, but different angles. And I think we've both found enough of what we're looking for that we want more. Mm -hmm. And we've 
both also recognize the universality of what we're looking for and finding and looking at the outside in the world and realizing how many people can benefit from the findings that we've had, you know, but also at the same time, knowing we have a lot more work to do and, you know, there are other people that you know, yeah, all of it. they're going to be taken care of. But uh, yeah. Well, so, so along those lines, do you have any more ideas of uh, future books, future creations? Because so, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to just be a channel for the universe right now. I'm like, that's a really good idea if you hadn't already thought of it. Well, I have. I have. <laughs> And, um, I, you know, I already have like one or two ideas about things I want to change about the dude's guide to make a version two. Okay. But I don't, I think I want to press this book a bit more and get a bit more feedback before I do anything else. Nice. So, um, because I love dudism so much, it's, it's an idea I haven't started yet, but I'm, I'm very like, I, I was this close to starting it, but then I backed off because, um, like my job situation was precarious and I needed to focus on that. But I do have this idea that's still in my head. It would be a novel and it would be a pre the, the prequel to The Big Lebowski and it's entirely Walter's story. Nice. And the whole story is around his time in Vietnam, whatever his sick Cynthia thing was that he developed, you know, why he is the way he is with his ex-wife, like explaining that somehow. And then the movie ends or like, you know, the end of the book is meeting the dude. I don't know how far into meeting the dude we would go, but like the story I would want to tell is how Walter was the dude before Vietnam. And I want to show how like, like I can see, cause there's, there's a lot of arguments that can be made. I think there is an argument to be made. I don't think it can be conclusive. There is an argument to be made that maybe Walter is stolen valor. Maybe he never was in Vietnam or wasn't very much. Maybe he exaggerates it more than he means to. I don't think that's true, mm -hmm. but I understand why someone would think that, hmm. you know, I understand like when people have made that argument, I'm like, I can see where you're coming from. I still think you're wrong, but I respect the idea. But I think Walter really was in Vietnam. I think maybe it, you know, but I think Walter's a sensitive soul. And so I think like he wasn't in like the darkest pits of hell in Vietnam, but I think like something happened that changed him. It must know? be really interesting to talk to John, John Goodman about, because to, to embody yeah. that part, like where his mind went with it all. Yeah. That would be I, really I think Walter's honestly my favorite character in the movie. Yes. I, John Goodman just- He should have won the Oscar such for Such a, yeah. Yes. Really yes. Just masterful. Yes, job. masterful. One of his yeah. best performances, one of the best acting performances of any actor, like to embody that character, how perfectly he did. So yeah, so, so I would love to write that story. I would love to just play with that story. Again, under the same lines of thinking as like some part of me hopes that's crappy so that it inspires someone else. Nice. Like- that's what, really inspiring. That, what do other people think about the Walter story, what it should be? You yeah. know, like maybe someone writes a different Think how know, much story, so. much more cool shit would be created if people had that mentality. Like, I kind of hope this sucks so that someone will do a better job. Instead of like, this has got to be really good mm -hmm. or else people are going to make fun of me. This or looking at someone bad. who is better and or, being like, yeah, I, I can, like, never, I be can that. never be that good. Ugh. You know, like maybe yeah. it'll inspire. Like maybe this podcast will inspire someone to do a better podcast. And I that's hope cool so. because more conversations. Yes. Yeah. And also just, yeah. it's not about impressing someone. It's about, like you said, how you were writing that book for yourself. Mm -hmm. So Rick Rubin was saying, he's like, you first do it for yourself because mm -hmm. you need that. You need that experience. Yep. And you need that cathartic, transformative process. Yeah. And... Yeah, it's like there's not really a great book on Big Lebowski, so I'll write one. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's there's not the book that I want to read. And also, read. Um, one of the biggest things when I was starting out 
it, and, the, and it made it harder but also more rewarding was that I wanted it to be a full color animated kind of book with yeah. big pictures on like every page pretty much. And you, you notice some of the pages are mostly writing, which I couldn't get away from because there are some things I just wanted to say. That's good. But I try to include a picture on every book because it's a movie for heaven's sake. And in the books he wrote, it's all writing, 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 writing. And so I thought, well, if this movie connect, like whatever audience this movie is connecting with necessarily has to have some visual you know, thing. And so I wanted that visual element to be like, you know, something yeah. you put, put on a coffee table, you could flip to yeah. any page. Totally. I was actually, so, this reminded yeah. me of uh, Be Here Now. Mm -hmm. Remember Be, Ram Dass, Be Here Now? It's mm -hmm. like so many pictures and cartoons and the words all going like, yeah, ways around the page and everything. Yes. And it's like more of just like a fun experience and it gets you out of like this real analytical sort of framework because you're just reading like a picture book like a kid. Mm -hmm. But there is still enough substance. Yes. Yes. So that's the thing is like, and I, I've noticed how many times in this podcast, you and I both have talked about like noticing myself. And I just want to point out like for something for our, our listeners to take away is like, you know, realize to, to realize that like there are multiple parts of your being, so to speak. There's, there's a soul, there's a mind, there's an intellect, you know, there's, and there's also aspect, like I explore, you know, the different characters in the movie as like aspects of ourselves, you know, and there's, there's a part of ourselves that wants to just be a nihilist and just believe in yeah. nothing, you know, yeah. there's a part of ourselves that, that doesn't care if it's all fake, that wants to have the big mansion and, you know, the, the, the all the rugs in the house, you know, mm -hmm. that we want that even if it is fake, because then people will look up to us, you know, or whatever. And so there's all these different parts of ourselves, but the only part that's true is the soul and is the deepest, you know, truth imaginable. And that when we dive into that, all the other parts start to resonate with more power. Hmm. You know, it's not like those parts go away, you know, and, and also, you know, Swamiji would talk about like, because a lot of people think about like the ego, the soul and the ego, you know, and we got to like destroy the ego, you know, and like kill the ego and whatever. And Swamiji talks about that's insane. Who's killing what? You are the ego, yeah. you know, until you're fully liberated and you're not or else you wouldn't be listening to me right now. <laughs> like until that point of full liberation comes, you are the ego. So there's nothing to kill. Like you, that's so it's it's getting to that point where going back to the idea of simplicity that's how I like to see Buddhism and that's how I like to see my spiritual path is like what is that one thing you know and for me it's just it's just introspection coming back to center you know I can call it a lot of different things and I think about it in a lot of different ways but at the end of the day it's all one thing yeah. coming back coming home coming back coming home coming home and just that repeated and that's why we call it a practice because you repeat it so many times you know soccer practice you need to repeat your practicing so many times before you're ready for the game or the championship or whatever and so in life, it's like life practice, you know, but you're practicing calmness. You're practicing centeredness where, where you can see all the spokes of the wheel rather than being out on one spoke and you can barely see the center, much less all the other spokes, you know? So, yeah. So where do people find, like, what, what, what's, do you have a website or uh, is Facebook yeah. page? So if you go on Etsy and search for the dude's guide to life, you'll find okay. it. I'm selling it on Etsy just because I want to do a lot of my own promotion and I can just share the link to the Etsy page. Yeah. Whereas a lot of people go with like Amazon and stuff because maybe people find it when they're looking for similar things. But like, I'm think I'm still thinking about putting it on Amazon, but I just want to get, you know, my, my message out a bit more first maybe. Um, and also 
just being on Amazon won't help it to sell. And they take like 40% or whatever. So yeah, it's crazy how much they take. But yes, if people go to Etsy, search for the Dude's Guide to Life. Um, the Dude's Guide to Life. Okay. Yeah, or, um, or they can go to our podcast. Uh, it's called The Dude Cast, A nice. Dudist Roundtable. Now, it's not, I, I want to point out, it's not just The Dude Cast because we love the name, but apparently someone else already did it for other things. Uh-huh. Not Dudist things, but other things. Um, but we call it a dudist round table because there are myself and my two other co-hosts. And then we invite one rotating guest each week. Lately, we've been making the rotating guests like the audience and going live with it. So right now, uh, the last two Thursdays or the last two times we've done it has been Thursday, five o'clock and we just go live. So if you, um, Go to the DudeCast Facebook page. We'll always post okay. what we're doing. So. DudeCast Facebook. I'll put it in the show yeah. notes. What is this podcast called, by the way? Miracle Soup. Miracle Soup. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having Dude, me on, Chris. Thank you so much. That was it's really been a great fun. conversation. And I want to share this, too, with all my audience. So yeah, definitely let me awesome. know when it's published. Really appreciate it, man. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. All right. Okay. Tell, we had a dogfight in the middle of our podcast today. And so, Rain, you were out there and you saw the whole thing happen. So what, yeah. what did you see happen? So, so Henry opened the door, uh-huh. opened the big gate. Okay. His his older brother, like the older one. Yeah, Henry. Um, he he opened Cole and the door, the, the gate, and then and then um Cole went over to greet Cole, Osha. Uh huh. And then Osha started to growl at Cole. Okay. And um um and then it t- turned into a dog fight. And, and it wasn't Cole that, that started it. It was Oshla. It was Oshla. You saw that. Yeah. And then one of them has like a cut. I think Oshla or Cole got blood on their head now. Really? Yeah. It wasn't too bad, but they were really going at it right in the front front door. Well, well Oshla was standing up next to the truck, and, and Cole was all, all like huddled. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and he, was, he, he was more, Oshla was the more fight one. Yeah, he was more aggressive. Yes. Huh. What are we going to do about that? I don't know. Just got to chill but out. But he was more charging at, at the head, more than the body. Yeah. I think maybe he felt threatened, like Cole was invading on his on his land or something, or his, his territory. But I think I think Oshel's got to chill out a little bit. They, they would never do that. Like, he would never do that. Okay, well, thanks for sharing that story. Mm-hmm.